Welcome to the Wise Up Texas podcast. Wise Up Texas is a nonpartisan, nonprofit, empowering and educating Texas South Asians to be informed voters and partake in civic engagement. You can visit our website, wiseuptx.org, and find us on all social media platforms. This is Poonam Kaji, Wise Up Texas board member and today's host. Just some important information. Um, we are very, very close to election day and we are in the middle of early voting. Um, so please make sure you've made your plan to vote. You can visit our website, wiseuptx.org. The voter info section has tons of information, including all of our other podcast episodes, um, ca candidate profiles, and information on where to vote and wait times. So this is an incredibly useful resource um, for those of you who are planning your vote and helping your friends and family do the same. We have a really fun podcast interview today. We're basically huddling together as a Wise Up Texas podcast team um, to talk about the upcoming election and what we think might be going on as we're seeing numbers come in from early voting. Um, so I'm really excited to have most of our podcast team here today. Um, we've got Ezra, Zoheb, Sana, and Ariba. Do you guys wanna just take a quick second and say hello, um, starting with Ezra? Sure. Hey, everyone. I hope you all are wising up, masking up, and voting up and down the ballot. Uh, and I'm excited to chat about what we think are going to be some interesting results from the election. This is Zoheb Kadri. Um, yeah, echoing what Ezra said, I hope everyone's staying safe and making sure they're going out and vote. Um, you can still vote early until October 30th, and election day is slowly creeping uh, onto us because it is November 3rd. Hey everyone, this is Sana Megani. I'm also a WISE board member and so excited to be here today to chat politics and election predictions with y'all. Hi everyone, this is Ariba Amir. I'm super excited to be here today. It's a strange time for everyone amid the pandemic plus the 2020 presidential election. So I think we have a lot of interesting things to talk about. Definitely. So um, I'll, I'll get started kind of opening us up on the first topic, which is, you know, we talk a lot about election day, but really the election season has already begun. And in many ways it started early, right? With all the mail-in voting happening in Texas, we extended early voting. Um, we haven't made significant changes to our mail-in voting policies here. Um, so the election's already begun and November 3rd may not end up being the exact end either. And what I mean by that is we're in a pandemic. This isn't a normal time. Um, a lot of states have gone out of their way to extend mail-in voting opportunities. Um, and the way mail-in voting works is that some states won't start counting their ballots um, until maybe election morning or shortly before. Um, so just so you guys know, um, states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin won't stop, start processing those votes until the morning of November 3rd. Um, States like Michigan um, won't start processing until shortly before, and they've already said they probably won't have all of the votes processed until November 6th. Um, so that's just a few examples. And those are some really big states in terms of the Electoral College. So we could see that we are waiting on who is the winner um, based on some of those votes coming in. And that's, that's pretty unique. I mean, we are in a really different time. This will be a different election. Yeah, if you don't mind me jumping in, uh, 
I wanted to add that some of those states that you mentioned that won't be counting until November 3rd, those were states that were, you know, kind of controversial in 2016, right? Like they were only by a couple thousand votes of a difference um, in the Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump election. And so now that we know that they won't be counted until November 3rd and they've expanded mail-in uh, voting, I think it's almost like more than probable that we're not going to have an end result on November 3rd, right? Because they're going to take, you know, it's going to take time to count all of those ballots. And because they are states that, you know, were determined by a few thousand votes. So it's definitely going to be one that everyone's going to be looking towards. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of us probably will be staying up regardless to watch election results that night and, you know, maybe kind of seeing if there's enough information to kind of indicate where is this election going to land, but it will be hard and it will be the responsible thing to do to not declare a winner, um, either for the campaigns or the media until we really know. Um, just a note about Texas elections, like MJ Hager versus Cornyn or the Texas Supreme Court and all these state um, races, many of which were featured on our podcast, I think we will get answers on those on election night, just because Texas, um, for the most part, is doing in-person voting. I know we all don't, we're not, just to be clear, I don't think any of us consider ourselves like pundits or experts, but we're going to take a guess. When do we think we'll have an answer on the presidential election? Um, if you're watching on video, we're going to just put up a little paper with our best guess of when are we going to have an answer of who is the winner of the presidential election. Okay, show your dates. <laughs> okay, we're kind of all over the place, so. I know, December 9th, wow, Poonam, you really think it's gonna take a long time. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm a pessimist, what can I say? Um, so most of you said sometime in November, Sana said uh, November 4th, and then um, November 10th was Ezra, November 11th was Ariba, um, I think that was November 17th. Mm -hmm. Just and for my mental health and sanity, I need it to be on the fourth. I, I don't know how much longer I can sustain myself if we don't know sooner than then. Um, but, you know, realistically, I, I know that it will be longer, but I keep telling myself, like, you just got to make it to the fourth. You just got to make it to the fourth. Uh, and then I can take a break from reading the news and being on uh, all the time watching and tracking everything. Does anyone else want to chime in about their answer? Yeah, I kind of cheated to get to my answer. Um, November 17th is the dev, uh, the date that the state canvass canvassing board meets to certify results. So in a perfect world, November 17th is like, this is done. Um, so hopefully that's, that's the case. Or hopefully November 4th is the case. I'd be happy for that. <laughs> I'm going with November 4th. <laughs> I, I didn't have very much logic to my specific date, but I don't know if you guys recall in the primary election, there were a lot of issues with the new voting system with the new election machines in Texas and Travis County was one of them. And I was working at my college newspaper and we could not certify anything because all the voting machines were all over the place. And so I'm in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, we're gonna have issues inevitably with mail-in ballot voting, especially in Texas. And we're, we might potentially have issues with these voting machines, especially in rural areas. And so I can definitely see this going off longer than normal. <laughs> yeah, I for mine, I know December 9th was, I picked the date more or less arbitrarily, but I was kind of looking at history and, um, you know, 2000, which was, 
20 years ago now, which blows my mind. It makes me feel, oh, wow. <laughs> I feel so old, <laughs> you know? um, but that was the year of Bush v. Gore, um, a litigation matter that came out of that election um, where Gore, you know, ended up saying, hey, look, uh, Florida was just too close to call. And it really was. We didn't have an answer on election night. Um, and, you know, some of us actually remember, although we, some of us are probably pretty young, but we remember like it was very confusing. Florida was doing a lot of um, recounting, which was what was allowed under the law. And, and Gore's campaign was saying, hey, look, we need to do the recount on these. And in the meanwhile, the American people were getting kind of impatient. Like there was um, people in the streets protesting. You know, it was an uncertain time to not have a winner in an election. I will point out there wasn't an incumbent in that election, right? So we have a lame duck president at that time, whereas here we will have an incumbent. But um, eventually the recounts in Florida did get really messy. You guys might remember the hanging Chad, which was mm -hmm. really like a whole punch issue um, on, on the ballot. So eventually uh, George Bush filed a lawsuit in the Supreme Court to say, look, these votes are getting counted differently and it's unfair under the constitution. Um, and SCOTUS ruled really quickly on it because I think there was just this understanding of like, we need an answer. And that answer came out December 12th of 2000. So well, um, a month after election day. So I certainly hope we don't have that type of situation with litigation. Of course, the composition of the Supreme Court is still kind of um, up in the air with the uh, confirmation hearings going on. So um, very, very interesting to see what's going to happen. I think it's just kind of like a hang on to your hats situation here. I know for me, like, I'm like, please don't let Texas become somehow the Florida of 2000 because <laughs> like hanging chads or something like that. It was, it seemed embarrassing, quite frankly. I want better for Texas. <laughs> so I want to kind of talk about what we do know right now, which one thing we know is some exciting stuff around voter turnout, and I want to turn to that topic. Um, Zoheb, let's start with you. What can you tell us about what we're seeing with voter turnout here in Texas? Yeah, we're, we're seeing uh, historic highs in terms of turnout, especially in big counties like uh, Travis and, and Harris. I think Harris, over a million people have voted, and in Travis, it's like each day, I feel like I checked on Twitter the... Uh, um, not Secretary of State, the uh, city clerk, and she's the the Twitter accounts. I was talking about how how the numbers are uh, almost seven million people have voted so far in Texas, which is about forty percent of registered voters, and uh, they're predicting that close to twelve million folks will eventually vote um, when it's all said and done, um, which would I think account for sixty seven percent of all registered voters who have voted, which would be the highest amount of voters who have voted in percentage wise in Texas since nineteen ninety two, when seventy two percent of uh, registered voters voted in the, what, that was the Clinton, Bush, Ross Perot um, election. <laughs> so I was a, a baby at the time. But um, so yeah, it's really exciting numbers. Um, I, I think I mentioned this before uh, we went on, on live, but of folks that have voted, 39% uh, have never voted in a primary before. Uh, so that's gonna be really interesting to see where that takes us in terms of who wins what election. 31.3% uh, have voted for a Republican in the past and a Republican primary and 26.1% have voted for a Democrat. So um, really exciting. I still haven't voted. So I'm driving back to Travis County today and I will vote either today or tomorrow, but um, really exciting stuff happening here in, in Texas. And 
I think what will be really fascinating is that we are seeing such high voter turnout within Texas that we have never seen before, at least in my lifetime. And we've always heard from, you know, both political parties about how Texas really is. You know, there's the debate of will Texas go blue? Is Texas really purple? Is Texas still going to be Republican? And I think this election is really going to have that sort of determination because we're having high voter turnout. So Democrats argument is always, oh, Texas is a non-voter state. And if people voted, it would turn blue. Is that really going to be the case? I think that's something for us to watch for. And then with Republicans, you know, they're like, no, Texas is consistently a red state. And that's how it's going to stay with, you know, the way voter turnout is. And so, again, I think it's really going to be fascinating to see how um, I think regardless of the outcome on the nationwide scale, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with Texas and which party is really, you know, their mantra, whose mantra is really true, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think in 20, like if you look at the midterm, I think in 2018, there was more voter turnout for any other midterm. Um, and it was on both sides. So, you know, turnout, it, it looks like a lot of Texans are excited about voting, regardless of what side you're on. Yeah, I think, I think my little prediction kind of going off of Ezra is that I think Texas, starting with I guess you could look at it even 2018, but especially with this election, is that we are like what North Carolina is um, in terms of we're a a purplish state that can go any which way. The I mean, even even on the on the state level, you know, their governor is a Democrat, but I think both lower chambers are, are, are Republican. Um, but I, you know, I I think I think you know I think Texas will now be you know it, it went from a state for the longest time that was a blue state to a red state. Uh, and I think now it's going to become this like purplish state that both parties will have to put in resources and time and effort to to win. Ezra, I want to turn to you. You know, voter turnout and and kind of the voter engagement in the South Asian community has been pretty uh, unprecedented this year. Do you want to talk to us about that? Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think in terms of South Asian voter turnout, we have seen, so, you know, I started this organization in 2016, and I would say in comparison to the presidential election, just the amount of people that have been accessing our site, our information, and granted it's a lot more than what we had in 2016, um, has been exponentially increased. We've seen a lot of people really trying to understand what they need to do to be in you know, take part of the voting process. Um, we have seen so many other South Asian and AAPI orgs, you know, pop up within Texas, whether that's for particular campaigns, we're seeing it within Biden's presidential campaign. You know, they have South Asians for Biden, they have Indians for Biden, Pakistanis for Biden, Bangladeshis for Biden. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure if, you know, we've seen that on on the Trump side of the campaign, but we do know that there is a um, Indians for Trump and there are some Muslims for Trump as well. So we're, we're seeing some of that um, catering to the different factions, like whether religious or geopolitical within the South Asian community, which I think has been interesting. And I know we were discussing this a little bit early before we went live and Sana had mentioned something really great about, this is the first time we've seen South Asians, you know, kind of divide, and I'm, I'm not thinking divide is the correct word, but, you know, we're, we know that it's not just South Asians as an umbrella, like they're talking about Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, Indians, just everybody is, as, um, you know, we're getting 
help me out guys. Like <laughs> we're being seen, like we're really being seen as, yeah, I think yeah. we're being seen. I think we're not treated as a monolith. We we're yes, our individual identities are, our, our, you know, regional differences of food we eat, the language we speak, the religions we come from are being celebrated, are, are aware in the, I think the general public eye. And I will say for myself, it was a Pakistani American Muslim woman. I mean, it feels great to feel like, you know, who I am and, um, what, you know, what, whichever campaign it's from, it's just um, refreshing to know that we're not just all dumped into the brown people who come from South Asia category. Uh, and that's, that's yes. been really refreshing to see. And I, I will say that I noticed that on our podcast segments too, like a lot of the candidates I had interviewed in 2016 and 2018 didn't really know, okay, South Asia, Middle Eastern, like they, they would confuse the two the, and, and it was just exceptionally frustrating a lot of the times. And a part of Wise Up Texas was to also help candidates to understand who we were and what our policy issues are, right? And now we're seeing this election cycle in a lot of our podcast interviews, people already, a lot of these candidates already know who we are, right? They've heard of us, they they know what some of our issues are. And so that's been really amazing to see the evolution of, especially since 2016, when we started this organization. Um, but overall, I do think South Asian voter turnout, we don't have hard data on it, but we are seeing it a lot on our social media accounts. We are seeing so many people on like WhatsApp group, Facebook groups, um, Twitter accounts and Facebook and Instagram, you know, just really pushing out to remind people to vote, to get a voting plan, even people who are not necessarily active in voting. Like a lot of our board is, we're all excited about it. We all nerd about it, but I'm seeing a lot of people who are not as you know, into politics or voting as we are 24 seven, but they're really into it this election cycle. So I think we can see, especially in a lot of those congressional and state races where we have a heavy South Asian population, I think there's definitely voter turnout there. And I think you can see, I mean, AAPI is the largest demographic that is growing within Texas right now. And, you know, we're seeing news articles about it. But I think what's going to be fascinating to watch is how we South Asians and the AAPI community, which is Asian American Pacific Islander, how we make that difference in these state and congressional races. Are we going to be the ones that will make the difference between a few hundred votes in some of these races in which will districts will flip seats? Um, and I think that's what's going to be really fascinating to watch, because I think if this election cycle, South Asians are able to contribute to that, we are going to have a huge power play um, for 2022 and 2024, because I think a lot of these candidates are going to realize, oh, wow, you know, this South Asian community, while we're not a monolithic voting bloc either, I think they're going to know that, hey, we need to really understand what their issues are, because they're the ones that can switch those seats either which way. That's really great, Ezra. I just wanted to make one quick point here. You said something that, you know, got me thinking about so many more of our community members, you know, are older and younger are getting so engaged and active and talking. I've seen it in my own family. But I want to say, like, I just want to take a moment and say that I think that is also happening, happening not because this, as many people call it, is the most consequential election of our lifetime, or there are many Asian American um, issues that might be on the ballot that we're considering. But I also want to say that what we saw in terms of the social, political, and racial uprising over the summer caused many of us as South Asians to uh, kind of withdraw and, and reflect and kind of take those things we were see seeing on the streets back to our families. And I think the natural progression after, well, this is happening in our community, 
is, well, what do we do about it? And, and where, where do we fall on it? And I think so those conversations, those hard conversations you may have had with your aunties and uncles and, and nanas and nannies may have now resulted in getting more people engaged and excited about voting wherever you fall on the spectrum, but at least you're thinking about it. And I do want to give credit to, I think, our younger listeners or those who are very involved in, in social and political activism over the course of the summer for making uh, those hard conversations with your family members happen. And a shout out for all of you who helped your family members register to vote um, and translated it all for them because uh, it is possible for so many people um, in our community to get involved because of those of us in our families who said, I'm going to be the one who's going to make a list and call everyone. I'm going to be the one who's going to have that awkward conversation at my next, you know, dinner party, virtual dinner party, maybe. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is registering to vote in Texas is not easy, right? We don't have online voter registration. You have to literally print out, you know, fill out the form online. And let's say you don't have a computer or internet. That's also another hurdle to, to overcome. And, um, I specifically remember the night before the voter registration deadline, because everything had to be postmarked by October 5th. I was on the phone with my family members at 1 a.m. and also like trying to feed my child. And I was like, and I have a newborn. And I was like, why is registering to vote more difficult than feeding my newborn child? <laughs> I, I hope that's something that gets revolved in the upcoming legislative session. Um, but yeah, it's just, again, like Asana said, kudos to all of our listeners and everybody out there that really pushed to get everyone registered to vote because registering to vote people in Texas is not the easiest. Yeah, that's actually a kind of a perfect segue for my question for Rebooks. Both of you talked about, you know, the fact that young people have been monumental, I think, in what's happening in our country right now and kind of taking up the responsibility of speaking out and engaging with people. So Ariba, um, I don't want to make you a, a token for all young people. <laughs> As the youngest one here, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's funny. Um, obviously, I understand the Bush versus Gore, um, the case, but it happened in 2000. You know, I was born in 2000. And so if that gives you any perspective, <laughs> like, you know, where, where, where Generation Z is now, I think that's a perfect, perfect example. So the first thing I think that, you know, would be worthy to talk about is, you know, historically, especially in Texas, adults under 25 have had the lowest voter turnout rate in the past two presidential elections. And that's according to an analysis by the Texas Tribune. You know, less than a quarter of adult Texas under 25 turned out in the 2018 presidential election, and then less than a third turned out in the 2016 election. Uh, but regardless of the turnout rates, you know, it's, I mean, Gen Z, what can take up like can have a significant impact on how the election would turn out and according to the Pew Research Center this year in this year's election Gen Z is expected to make up one in 10 elig eligible vo voters and that's grown four percent since those who are old enough to cast their ballots in the last presidential election so there's a lot to unpack here and I mean I think the first thing that a lot of older voters no offense that they turn to when they look at these ballot statistics is that, oh, you know, there's immense voter apathy within Generation Z. And I honestly think that that may not be a fair analysis when it comes to that. I mean, it's really funny for me because in the 2016 presidential election, I was 16, I was not able to vote, but I was, I was covering for my high school newspaper, like what Generation Z thought about the election. And one of the, one of the hurdles I found was that, you know, Generation Z, they were, especially 16 year olds getting all their information off of social media. And that led for 
wide misinformation spread. And I think all of us remember how 2016 election, like how, how that came out in the news. And then, you know, the next thing that, you know, as I went to college, I realized that another big issue, especially when it comes to college students, you know, all now we're all in college voting age. Another huge issue is that, you know, when you're on college campuses, not a lot of them have polling stations. So that's another that's another hurdle to get through. And that was another hurdle we saw in the primary, um, especially in Texas. And now this time we're seeing another issue for for college students and those younger adult Texans that you know, there's a lot of college students, including myself, who aren't on Texas. So we're heavily relying on either absentee ba ballot voting policies or we have to make the effort to re-register where we currently reside in the pandemic. And so there's just kind of three things that are compounding in themselves that are, are in my opinion, they're bars against getting that Generation Z vote that is so critical to this election. And I, I mean, I think it's barring it, but at the same time, and this is me speaking arbitrarily, I have no stats against it. At the same time, like I definitely see compared, comparing to when I was 16, there are a lot more people posting on social media. I think there were a lot more people involved. If, for example, in the Black Lives Matter movement, I think Generation Z is seeing that honestly, if they're not, that this will be their future world. And I think that's hitting harder now, especially amid the pandemic and the social justice movements, you know, this is our future world. And that's why it's so incredibly important that you're able to voice your opinion, regardless of like the three, four hurdles I just talked about. And so, you know, I'm really looking forward to see how those numbers turn out. It's, it's too late to call anything right now. But um, again, like Generation Z, like we have, we have a huge impact on the election. So I encourage you, you know, if you're listening to this, first of all, kudos to you, you know, you're listening to a reliable news source. And then this <laughs> 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 it's difficult. But, and you know, the second thing is, is if you're listening, like I really encourage you, regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, your voice is incredibly important to the election. And I can't emphasize that enough. And so, yeah, those are, that's my two, three sets <laughs> on the topic. Thanks, Ariba. I think I think it's really honestly insightful because um, you know our future is is your generation, and I think we'll learn a lot about where Texas is going in terms of the things Ezra was talking about at the beginning and Zoheb. Like, are we going to be more of a swing state? Being a swing state is kind of fun because then everybody you know wants wants to make you happy, and that's always a cool thing. So. Um, it, you know, I think that's really interesting to see how it does turn out. We are seeing a lot more young people come out so far in early voting, and that's super exciting. Um, I want to take a minute and talk to Sana about the role of women in this election. Um, everybody, by the way, if y'all haven't heard all the podcast interviews, go back and hear them, even if you already voted. It's just, I think it was really inspiring to hear from the candidates. And Sana, in a number of her interviews, talked to the candidates about being a working mom and during the pandemic, trying to juggle everything that's been going on. Um, and I think, you know, we were hearing a lot about women in this election cycle. So Sana, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that from you. Yeah, I mean, I just want to take a second to say that working from home is not only highlighted and um, but it's also compounded the heavier burden that women take on. So you are, you know, showing up in, in the virtual workspace, you're showing up for your kids and your family, you're having to educate them. You're having to still make meals and and do all of it sometimes with little to no help. And so um, that has been a big part of my experience in this pandemic. And I know that I'm not alone. I know that many women are um, going through this and 
the New York Times uh, uh, parenting uh, newsletter has been a great source of uh, comfort and knowledge for me, but recently they've been doing a lot of reporting on how the, pandem the pandemic has upended the careers of women. And so women are finding that they are being pulled by the domestic burden and strings uh, to their house. And so now they're having to figure out, well, where do I, well, where do I make this all happen? And um, it has been a, a, a definite challenge. But when it comes to the political participation of women, despite being in a pandemic, despite being pulled by so many different areas, we're still showing up and we're showing up in large numbers. So the Brookings Institute called 2020 the year of the women voter. And um, what's interesting to see is that women have outvoted men by 10 million uh, votes in the last two elections. And that's equal to the total number of votes cast in the state of Texas in 2016. That's huge. It's huge, um, but we're not just showing up to our to the ballot box. We're also participating actively in the process. More women are running for election. They're standing up and saying, "Hey, you know what? I, I have something to say, and I want to participate." Um, I interviewed one of those women, uh, and I was very inspired by her as a breast cancer survivor, as a mom of two, as a, as an attorney. I'm talking about Sima Lardivadian, and she's running for. I think House, no, Congressional District 2 in Houston, yeah, and 2, right. Um, and so really inspired by the women on both sides, I think standing up and saying, you know what, I, I want to participate. Um, but then there's also the women who are saying, you know what, I want to contribute my time, my knowledge, my energy to the campaigns. And NPR recently reported how women are uh, donating to political campaigns more than men. 37% uh, of the Trump donations come from women, 48% for Biden come from women. So we're here, we're showing the power of our purse. Uh, we're saying we want to run and we're showing up at the ballot box. And so with that, I think uh, there are a number of issues that women will look to uh, when they think about uh, who they want to cast their vote for. Um, of course, you know, uh, the pandemic is a big one. When can I go back to work safely? When can my children go back to school or when is it safe for me to send them to daycare? Uh, but also uh, women's health and women's uh, health rights. And so um, you're going to be thinking about uh, whether that comes from your faith or whether that comes from, you know, something else. Like, what does it mean uh, that my rights are protected as a woman and that my health is considered and cared for as a woman? And so there's a lot to think about as you head to the to the polls, uh, you know, whether you're voting early or on election day. But I think women will be a big part of the story. And as we continue beyond election day, I think that more and more candidates will start to realize in future elections that uh, women are not just, um, uh, you know, a, a population that we need to uh, cater to, or, but we need to have them as part of the center of the conversation, um, not just uh, who they are as uh, working moms, but what they stand for, what their uh, what their rights need to be about, and why they are such an integral part of the story. So, just a little bit about how I feel. Super passionate, of course, about the working mom piece, but that has definitely been a big part of my story in the last couple of months. Thanks for sharing that, Senna. I thought that was really cool on the podcast interviews to hear from candidates about that topic too. Um, so we're gonna kind of close it out with a couple of quick pointed questions and some little games on our on our paper, guessing a few more things. So one, um, last uh, you know, the last twenty years, elections in Texas have been what you could probably call a landslide. Um, the last election was nine percentage points. We've seen it like twenty percentage points in the George Bush years. So. 
I'm going to go with five percentage points. Tell us if it's going to be more or less the difference between the two candidates, more or less. Just write down more or less. Presidential, just for the presidential. Just presidential. Okay. Okay, show your answer. Oh, okay. So three of us said less than 5%. So we're anticipating a really close election. Sana said more than 5% and Azra said exactly 5%. So we'll see. We should, we should have like bet on this or something, but <laughs> okay. Another silly game. Um, what is your face going to look like the morning of November 4th? So smiley, face, sad face, confused face. How do you make a confused face? That's my question. I don't know. It's just like question marks? Your self-portrait of a confused face. I'm not an artist. This is really <laughs> If you can't make out the yeah. face. Mine is like a nauseous, tired face. So mine is like eye bags. I'm also a new mom. And I know I'll still be up late watching the election and then feeding my daughter intermittently. <laughs> so bags under my eyes. And confused. Yeah, I put question marks because confused but also kind of smiling because it's hopefully over but but mainly confused yeah, yeah. I, I have tears no matter what <laughs> yeah, this no matter what happens I, I know i'll be crying <laughs> it's been a long road to get here yeah it's like stress relief cry right yeah yeah you know that like ugly cry with a with a bucket of ice cream yeah yeah <laughs> so i just have to um one question to kind of finish this out. And then if anybody, anybody wants to chime in something else, we'll do that right at the end. But let's finish the sentence voting is in you know two or three words, just finish that sentence. Reva, we'll start with you. Voting is, what's your answer? I think voting is powerful. Love that. Zoheb. It, it's probably more than a word, but uh, voting is the, it is one part of the, of the bigger picture. Ezra? Uh, I'm going to sound really cliche, but voting is your voice. Sana? I'm going to say it like, uh, like the Desi mom that I've become. Voting is your duty. Love that. That was so good. <laughs> I was going to say your voice too. So um, just closing remarks. Does anybody want to give, you know, one thing I thought might be helpful for our listeners, any advice after election day? Um, what is your one little bit of advice? What are they, or after this election is over, I should say, one little bit of advice. Yeah, I guess, I guess it goes back to voting is question that you just asked, um, that stay, stay active, um, you know, regardless of your political affiliation, um, there's still a session in Texas in 2021. Uh, there's local elections in 2021, depending on where you live in Texas, uh, folks are already starting to, you know, contemplate whether they're going to run in 2022. And then on top of that, there's just a lot of things in terms of activism, right? Making sure that, you know, future elections, it's easier to vote for folks or to register to vote for folks. Um, you know, things just going on in certain communities, whether the BLM movement or, or, you know, women's rights or whatever it may be. So, um, so yeah, my, my advice would be, you know, election day, like celebrate it, you know, depending on who, what side of the aisle you're on. And then after that, just, you know, get ready to continue to do, you know, the good work. Ezra, you want to tell our listeners what can they do between now and, and election day to continue up the spirit around voting? Sure. I think um, regardless of which political party you adhere to, you can phone bank. I think that's a great way to feel 
I feel like a lot of people have been phone banking and feeling involved or text banking. Um, there's people that are writing postcards as well. And that, you know, is being sent to people who don't necessarily vote or turn out to vote. And I think pushing everyone to get out to vote, you know, even posting on your social media, like when everybody keeps seeing it and they're not really into voting, they may be kind of peer pressured to go vote. So definitely you know, push voting, take people with you to the polls, like text your friends and neighbors. I'm that annoying person and my friends can attest to it. I sit there and text every single person on my phone and I'm like, hey, have you voted? Have you registered to vote? What are you doing for voting? What's your voting plan? I am definitely that person. And um, and I know that a majority of my friends don't respond at all. And so I will say that initially I used to feel really downcast about it. And I would tell my husband and I was like, I know they think I'm annoying, but this is so important. But it's really fascinating because while people don't respond to my text messages, they will come back to me later being like, hey, thanks for reminding me to vote. I did register. I did go vote. And so you may not get the responses you want, but like, don't feel discouraged by it. Like just push, keep pushing it. You know, it doesn't matter how annoying you are because it's really important for us to have our voices heard. And so, you know, that's what I would like to say to push for everyone to do before election day and kind of to go, you know, I know Zohaib answered the previous question, but I do want to say is like, even after election day, please hold your um, politicians accountable. Um, even the ones that you liked and you voted for, that doesn't mean they're always going to pass policies that are great for you or your community. And so I'm just saying, you know, and then if there are those that you don't like um, that ended up coming into office, but always hold your politicians accountable after the election. Thanks for that. Well, I really am glad we could get together and talk about our election predictions. Um, I, like I said at the outset, we're not experts, but we're all very passionate citizens, and we hope that um, some of the information we shared is, is helpful. Um, we'll definitely be probably doing a recap um, of the election after um, on a podcast interview among us, and then um, stay tuned. The podcast will be back in 2021. We'll keep doing the work after this election cycle, but we need our listeners and followers to do the same with us. So that is our interview for today. A reminder that you can still continue early voting through October 30th. And then um, if you need to go out on election day and, and get it done, help your friends and family make their voting plan, visit the Wise Up Texas website to learn about how to do that. Wise Up Texas is a nonpartisan and nonprofit organization, but we welcome interviews with candidates and political leaders who want to speak to our South Asian followers. Wise Up Texas does not endorse any candidates or political party, you can find a recording of this podcast on podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and select episodes will air on Radio Azad. Thanks for listening. Get educated, get wiser, and start getting a hoot with Wise Up Texas.